Welcome to the Leader Think Podcast, where we discuss personal growth and concepts for improving organizational culture. This is your host, Philip Grison. As you increase your wisdom, I hope you enlighten others on your path towards greatness. If you want to go further, head over to leaderthink.com. Hey, everybody. I've been thinking a lot about the amount of hate we see in our world today. Hate is expressed often in the political spectrum. Hate for other humans is expressed in the news and in social media. I've heard it said before that a government is a reflection of its people. This tells me that if we want to see less hate in our society, then we have to change that acceptance of hate in the people. Today, I want to discuss the concept of denormalizing hate in hopes that we can all get along better and influence those around us. I've talked before about the concept of social proof, but as a recap, when people are unsure of the correct behavior, they tend to do what everyone else is doing around them. In the topic of hate, if hate is normalized, then it becomes more accepted to say hateful things. If we want less hate in our society, we have to denormalize that behavior. We have to create an environment where spewing hate becomes socially unacceptable. As we go down this road, I want to introduce another concept, the blurring of social lines. I'm going to share a little history here about how we ended up in this current time where expressing hate is so tolerated today. If we want to change behavior, we have to understand why it makes sense. We have to accept that people believe what they are doing is the right thing to do, even when the behavior appears to be wrong in our eyes. It's a commonly accepted idea in human performance, but it also applies to dishing out hate. Thousands of years ago, there was a clearly defined line between peasant and royalty. There was no ability to vote. And average people didn't have a voice. But now, times are very different. The so-called peasant does have a voice and the privilege to vote. With social media, everyone has a voice. Some have more followers than others, but anyone can create a Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn account and voice their opinion to the world. In the old days, we just didn't have that ability. In the construction arena, times have completely changed from the old days. Thousands of years ago, a construction worker just had to get the job done. If you didn't follow the rules, they might hear, either do what you are told or I will cut your head off, put it on a stake for everyone to see, and I guarantee you the next worker will obey. It's an extreme example, but that is where we have evolved from. We evolved from barbarism. In my time on this planet, how civilized we are has improved in some areas. When I was in high school, a fist fight once a week was normal. The consequence was a visit to the principal, a paddling or detention, and then life returned to normal. Today, kids are taken to jail or permanently barred from a school for physical violence. So in that regard, we have evolved and become a more civilized society. The same thing occurred on construction job sites as recently as the 90s, maybe even more recent in your experience. Fist fights were normal on job sites just a few decades ago. 
Today, they are rare to observe. So although we have become more civilized, both in schools and on job sites, verbal violence is still normalized today. Turn on the TV, read a news article, go look at Twitter, and it is normal to observe politicians, entertainers, or average Joes spewing hate. In human performance, we say that we need to fix the systems that influence undesired behavior if we don't want to see those behaviors continue. Our political system is just that, a system. The system of two main parties, Democrat and Republican, can influence people to feel the need to pick a side. The media, politicians, social media, they're all telling you to pick a side. They tell us that one is good and the other is bad. But just because we are told to pick one over the other, do we really have to obey that loud voice telling us to choose? Or can we pick something totally different? I pick humanity. Instead of being forced to pick a side, I pick the side of the human race. I pick humanity because I believe it exists for a purpose, and I should never resist the unchangeable circumstance that I belong to it. I belong to the human race, and all of us are on that side, whether we like it or not. Can we get better at reminding ourselves and each other that that is the side we all belong to? We are all part of the human race. You know, most disagreements occur because our stories collide. It's like we are all living our own unique movie. And when we get a glimpse of the other person's movie, the stories don't match up with ours. And then we start to argue. But we don't get the privilege of watching the other person's entire movie or their full life story. We then start to assume what the intentions are of the other person. And when we assume intentions, we usually assume they're bad. In the book, Difficult Conversations, the authors state that most difficult conversations are more about questions of interpretation and judgment than right and wrong. That is where we tend to disagree with each other. And when emotions are mixed in, the conversations can easily devolve into hate speech. Take something like health care in our country. I don't think anyone wants bad health care. It's how Democrats and Republicans interpret and judge the problems within our health care system that lead to so many arguments about it. We both think we are right and they are wrong about the solution to those problems. When we come from a place of us versus them, we aren't very willing to learn what the other person knows that we don't know. So we argue. Here's another excerpt from Difficult Conversations. We all have information that the other person is not aware of, and raising awareness is not easy. What we can change is the way we respond. Learning the other person's story that we judge and disagree with is a great first step toward denormalizing hate. Accused people defend themselves. When we ask people for more information that they have and admit that we don't have all the truth on our side, they are both disarmed 
and more willing to hear alternate views themselves. When we start a conversation with I'm right and you are wrong, then hate is likely to follow. Everyone knows something that I don't know. I must not only admit that truth, but also come from a place of genuine curiosity to learn what the other person knows that I don't know. If I do that, maybe they will be curious about the information I have that they don't have. Maybe. Maybe not. But surely not if I immediately judge them as wrong. When we judge the alternate views or behaviors of other people, it's easy to chop it up to bad character. Our brain always wants to make sense of what it doesn't understand. Chopping it up to bad character is a lot easier for our quickly overloaded brains to handle, to make sense of the disagreement. It's easy to dislike what you don't understand. It's really just the way our brains are wired. Our limbic brain, with its unlimited energy, is designed to identify threats and emotionally judge them as quickly as possible. At its root, the purpose of the limbic brain is to keep us alive. But the unfortunate side effect is we cannot be the most contemplative when we let our limbic brain control our behavior. Sometimes we judge another person or a group of people with a part of our brain that is designed to look at people as tigers that are about to eat us. We need to be careful to engage our prefrontal to make sure we are not treating people as tigers when they really don't plan to eat us. We must also recognize that how we respond can easily trigger them to look at us as the tiger. The solution to all of this is to be the one to step up and ask for more information. Asking questions triggers the contemplative prefrontal in the other person. Making judgments that they perceive as judgments on their character will surely trigger the limbic brain. You know, distance can spawn division and closeness can diminish it. It's always harder to hate someone to their face. It's a lot easier to feel anger when you are far removed from the other person, like sitting behind a computer screen or talking about a person or a group of people when they are nowhere around. It's extremely difficult to hate someone you take the time to sympathize with. The closer you get to someone, the more you take the time to understand why their thoughts and their behaviors make sense to them, and the more you develop a sympathy for their struggles, the harder it is to dislike them. At this point, hate becomes almost impossible. Every time in my life that I've spoken directly to someone about my frustrations, it was always more civilized than the darker thoughts in my head. I have expressed some pretty mean thoughts in person, but as a whole, my one-on-one -on -one conversations have always been more productive for finding common ground, for finding greater awareness of the truth that we are all on the same team of humanity. It doesn't always work out. Two people have to participate. But we can get better at influencing others to be more willing to work out our differences.
Like I've mentioned before, the goal is not to create a perfect utopia. The goal is to get 50% better than where we were yesterday. And we can do that. If we disagree with others, but still take the time to research information that supports their beliefs, then we can become more understanding of their point of view. Then they might be more willing to consider our point of view. What they do is up to them. But taking the time to understand their point of view is still good for us, even if that is as far as it goes, because it minimizes our own internal bias. Even if they don't learn our point of view, it is still a win, because now we have more information on our side. Here's a personal story that really helped me on this path of denormalizing hate. One of my mentors taught me this skill. When struggling with judging the behavior of others, he told me to think about someone you hate. Extreme words, right? But it was very helpful. He said, put in the work to research why they behave the way they do and why they believe what they believe. Then your eyes will be opened and your mind will be renewed. So find someone I hate? Easy. I chose a loud, influential voice in the political spectrum. This person was labeled all kinds of hateful things, including the term antichrist. I went to Google and started researching his life story. There were things that this person did, things he said, where he donated his money, all things that I didn't just strongly disagree with. They were behaviors I judged. And while judging the behavior of this person, I drifted into judging his character. But after researching his life story, I had a completely different perspective on his actions. Through my research, there were things I learned about his childhood that helped me understand why he did things in his adulthood and why those things made sense to him. And this part's really important. I still didn't agree with him. I didn't agree with what he was doing, but I did understand why he did what he was doing. Agreeing with it was completely unnecessary. Understanding why it made sense to him was what I needed to learn because it changed me. It made me sympathize for him. It made me feel for him. I felt emotion, sadness actually, for the terrible things that he experienced as a child. It helped me understand how his childhood traumas shaped him into the person he became as an adult. I could then truly understand why his behaviors made sense to him. And the best part of all, the success, was that I no longer hated him. Instead, I felt for him. That is the lesson I needed to learn. Not that I have to agree with everyone, but I do need to get better at understanding everyone and sympathizing with them. Putting in the work to understand the life experiences of others makes it practically impossible to hate people. And again, you don't have to agree with them. But hate doesn't help anybody. Hate hurts the hater more than anyone else. Hate is exhausting. Hate can not only create division between people, 
It can physically damage your body in forms of stress and heart disease. Doing the work to understand the other person helps you. It's time-consuming and work to learn why the behavior of others makes sense to them. But should it be any other way? Should the higher road of sympathy be easy or the fruit of hard labor? I truly believe it is meant to be this way. Hate is easy, which means it's weak. Sympathy can be hard work, which means it's a form of great strength. As Eckhart Tolle says, labels never tell the full story. Any label, such as political affiliation or labels for ethnic groups or religious affiliations, they never tell the full story of the depth of a human being. If we can learn the story, we are on the path towards sympathy, which is the opposite of hate. We can't just tell people that they shouldn't hate. It doesn't stop the behavior. Instead, we must teach them how not to hate. We need to show them how it's done. Maybe then we can create a new form of social proof in this world that makes hate appear more socially unacceptable. Taking the time to learn another person's story and taking the time to speak face-to-face has helped me on that path. I hope it helps you too as you influence the people in your life experience. For all of you listening, I want you to know that I'm on your team. I'm right there with you on the team of humanity. Even if we don't agree with each other about everything, we're still on the same team. Sending love and sympathy to you all. Hope you have a happy Thanksgiving. If you learned something valuable today, please share it with others. For more information, head over to leaderthink.com.